As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I think you have to be able to shift your mindset at that point and say, you know, if I don't call this person, how are they going to feel, you know, after I knock this, this particular project or this particular business out of the park? And I didn't give them an opportunity to invest. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And uh, well, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. I hope you're having a best ever weekend. And because today is Saturday, we're going to do a special segment called Situation Saturday, where we put our best ever guest in the hot seat, where they're going to tell us how they came out ahead of a very sticky situation. Um, And it's not going to be some hypothetical stuff. It's going to be uh, from personal experience. And that situation will be relevant to you in uh, at least one, but likely many different ways if you are a real estate investor or entrepreneur. Uh, with us today, we have a previous best ever guest, Matt Rodak. How you doing, Matt? I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. And Matt is a, he's actually a guest for one of, on one of my very early episodes, episode number seven, and it's titled Un- Uncovering Why 
crowdfunding, real estate crowdfunding is so hot. And he is the CEO of Fund That Flip, which is an online lender for residential flips. He previously worked at a leading commercial property insurance and risk management firm. And he's based in New York City, New York. And he's a friend of mine. I've known him for, I don't know, two, three years. Um, and just have, have really enjoyed watching his business skyrocket. On a on a on the most relevant note for our conversation, he has raised close to $2 million for his real estate business. So here's the situation. And, bef- and, and then we'll get into your background and then we'll get into the situation. But just to prime it, the situation is you have a real estate business idea real estate-related business idea, and you need to raise money for it. How do you go about that? And Matt will get into a specific situation. But first, Matt, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. As, as you mentioned, um, our company, Fund That Flips, provides funding for uh, people that are buying, fixing, and reselling houses. We largely are a technology company, so raising money in the, in the quote-unquote fintech space uh, has always been challenging. And I found as I've grown the business, Raising money in particular is probably one of the most difficult things I've had to do, separating someone from their hard-earned cash on a venture that's presumably rather risky is, is very, very difficult. So maybe just more, more about my experience with raising money that I can get into kind of more of some of the situational things. But I came to the conclusion very early on that I, I'm probably, after I started this business, that what I've really done is created a situation where I'm always raising money. Our business is helping rehabbers or flippers or real estate investors get the capital they need to do their deals, which means I'm constantly out raising money from uh, hedge funds, family offices. We have a crowdfunding component to our business, so raising money from from individuals. So over that, I guess, process, I, whether I meant to or not, I, I think I've gotten pretty good at kind of understanding what it takes to, to raise money. I think what we're going to talk about a little bit today, though, is, is more around investing or how I've raised money, uh, particularly for the company so that we can hire people, scale out the platform, continue to invest in technology and, and whatnot. So I think that's our plan, right, Joe? Yeah, that's our plan. Okay. And so and so, take us back in time when you were at that moment where you had everything lined up, but you needed funding. Where, what were the circumstances? Yeah, so I, I think, and this, this happens, I'm sure, to a lot of entrepreneurs, is you come up with a really good idea or a really good project, and it's, it's genius, of course, um, and really, the only thing you need to, to to get it off the ground is some operating capital. That was me three years ago, and I didn't really raise my first dollar almost um, until almost eighteen or twenty four months after the idea. And kind of what I what I learned throughout the process uh, going through this, and a lot of this was just on the job training. Is um, you know, while this is Situation Saturday, the situation of raising money actually happens over a very long period of time. Just raising money, raising significant amounts of money especially, really takes time. And, and the reason for that is really you need to be able to build quality relationships with people that are in a position to invest in you. And the way that um, I eventually learned how to do this or how to, how to kind of make this work for myself was, uh, it's like a lot of other things. You've got you've to really be willing to give before you take the people that are potential investors in your business. Um, and it doesn't have to be really anything big or meaningful, but what I think I, I realize is what you're trying to do um, as you're building relationships with potential investors is show them that you care, show them that you listen, show them that um, you understand what they're interested in. You can send them articles that they're interested in. You can send them follow-up items of you know the last meeting that you had. Be sure to always kind of come away with, hey, what do you need to see from me next? You know, before maybe you'd be in a position to either advance the conversation or talk about investing with me. 
And then build that track record of, of showing that you care, but following up and doing what you say you're going to do, but also being transparent. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of highs and lows with starting a company and, you know, being transparent about not only the good things, but also the struggles and the challenges that you're dealing with and how you're getting through them. For me, really created an opportunity to almost give, you know, our potential investors, you know, a real use case or a real opportunity to, to see, you know, how we handle struggles, how, how we handle uh, hard times. And it starts to paint in their mind a picture of um, how you're going to work through different things after they've invested. So I think, you know, the first the first thing about raising money that I learned is one kind of come to the understanding that it's going to take probably more time than you, you'd like it to. You know, so start building relationships with people as soon as you can by being transparent, saying, doing what you say you're, you're going to do, uh, showing them that you care really with the takeaway being that, you know, the, the vision in your, in, what you want to do is you're going to create a vision in, in this investor's mind of what it's like to work with you after you've taken their money. <laughs> so you almost want to treat them as if you already have their money uh, and treat, treat it as such um, so they can start to get comfortable with the idea of what it will be like in a world after they've invested in you. What are some specific things that you did whenever you needed to raise money for how you showed you cared and were interested? Yeah, I mean, uh, investors are investors for a reason. It's it's their job. Um, you know, they're 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 looking to make quality investments, and each investor has a different uh, different motivations for doing so. You know, so in a lot of ways, it's just a matter of listening. And you know, why did you meet with me? What are you interested in? Why you know why is this particular business of interest to you? you know, find out about what they do in their free time and just really get to kind of know them on a personal level first. And then you'll come across things in the news or, you know, in, in business and, and you'll say, oh man, this is something that Joe may be interested in. Let me send him a link to the article. And that's a good way, you know, to show that, hey, you listen and you care it and, you know, you're thinking about the person, but it's also uh, creates a good excuse to follow up with that person. Say, hey, I saw this article. Oh, I haven't chatted with you in a while. It'd be great to get together, you know, see what you're up to and, and kind of give you an update on what we're working on as well. And then you use that opportunity to learn something new about them um, and, and hopefully continue to, to advance the conversation. So, you know, it's not like you need to give them, you know, anything that's really meaningful or that's going to, you know, impact them financially. But, uh, you know, what you're doing is you're showing them little things that you're a good listener, that, uh, you know, that you have some empathy that you care and that ultimately you're interested in some of the same things that they're interested in because people do like to work with people that have, you know, similar interests as them. How do you identify the relationships for people who have the money to invest? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends to some extent what business you're in, but I, I, I treat every single person that I meet with as a potential investor, you know, and, and really getting to know the person, what they're all about, what they're, you know, what they're interested in. Uh, and what I found is that, you know, if you treat everyone as if they're, they are an investor, even if they're not, they know people who are investors, you know, so if they feel like they're, uh, they're someone that is now kind of invested in you because you've kept them up to date and you've showed them that you cared and you've, you know, tried to help them, they're willing to make introductions, whether you uncover those through LinkedIn by saying, Hey, I see, you know, you're connected to so-and-so I've been trying to get in, re in, in touch with them or just on a more proactive basis saying, Hey, you know, understand maybe you're not a perfect fit for what we're doing, but, um, do you think maybe we could sit down sometime and talk about who's in my network that may be helpful? to you or who's in your network that may be helpful to me uh, and just do some, uh, you know, some, some horse trading, if you will, but doing so, you know, without the expectation that it's actually going to lead to anything and, and doing so more from an approach of, you know, again, trying to give before you get. And I think that that goes ac across really anything in business, even outside of fundraising, 
you know, the more you can give, I, I find the more that you end up getting back, even if it, it takes a, a bit longer to get there. How did you end up meeting the people specifically who invested in your company? Yeah, so this is this is another point. I mean, fundraising ultimately is a sales game, and it's it's put as many people in the top of the funnel as you possibly can, and and over time they they work their way out to the bottom of the funnel. I go to a lot of I, not as much now, but I did when I was starting a lot of networking events, a lot of startup things. You just and you meet people, and again they introduce you to people. You've got family and friends. One of our investors is a good family friend who his dad just recently retired, and he got on the board of a, an angel group and. I flew out to South Dakota and met with, a, met with a bunch of his, you know, co-investors out in South Dakota, and ended up getting four guys from there. So it, it's very, it becomes a spider web of connections, really. Um, and really, the only way, again, to kind of to build that web is talk to everybody, um, talk about your business to everybody, you know, when appropriate. But really, treat everyone as a potential investor. Show that passion that you have for the company. Be able to talk about what the opportunity is. And and what I found is is doors open, the more, the more, the more often you're talking about it and the more willing you are to, um, you know, to try to help people before, um, really asking them for anything. When you're at a, an event, let's, let's not, I'll be specific. When you're at a bar with friends and then, uh, friends of friends who don't know you, what type of conversation do you have as it relates to business, if any? Yeah, I think it's I think it's dependent upon you know the type of friends and and what people are interested in, but I, I don't think it's an uncommon question to ask someone you know what do you do professionally, you know again get to understand what they do and and see if there's any any connections to um, to what you're doing. Ultimately, if you ask the question, usually the the question gets reciprocated back, uh, which really opens that door for you then to talk about you know what you're working on and what you're excited about. I think another big thing uh, that, that kind of is a mental shift that's difficult for a lot of people, and I, I learned this from my, my days in sales, is when people are out actively raising money, they, they almost feel bad about it. They almost feel like you know they're bothering the other person or they feel needy or they feel weak. And the way that I've learned to think about it is you're, you're not the one that should feel bad about it. You've got a great opportunity. You're doing the other person a favor by explaining them and educating them what the opportunity is. They may not choose to invest in you or may not be capable of investing with you, but you owe it to everyone you talk to to talk about how exciting your opportunity is, you know, how hard you're working at it, where you see there's potential to, um, you know, to, to earn a return for them. And I think that's a big problem for a lot of people is they're, they're, they're afraid to um, or they're, they're ashamed almost that they're going out with a hat in hand because we've you know, been told that that's not a good thing to do. But you got to think of it the other way. And again, kind of my comment earlier, if you're actually talking to a real investor, it's their job to make investments. They're, it's their job to go find people like you. So you're doing them a favor. And I think there's a real fine line here of, of like being arrogant or being, you know, you, you still want to treat them as if, you know, they are the one with the upper hand and you want to you know, go out of your way to, to be respectful and be appreciative and um, do all the things that you should do. But I think we've all had this moment where it's like, oh man, should I call this person back or should I email them or am I going to be bothering them or I don't feel like asking them you know, for money. They told me no before. I think you have to be able to shift your mindset at that point and say, you know, if I don't call this person, how are they going to feel you know, after I knock this, this particular project or this particular business out of the park? And I didn't give them an opportunity to invest. And they had met with me before and they had you know, you know, expressed some interest and they've had coffee with me two or three times. And Maybe I didn't get them to a yes, but uh, now might be the time. So I think I think there's a lot of people, uh, myself included, that 
you know, are uncomfortable doing this because it's just a very unnatural thing to go ask for, for someone's money. But you almost have to really, and I had to fake this a long time until I actually got comfortable with it, fake it till you make it. No, no, like I'm doing this person a favor. I owe it to them actually um, to pick up this phone, this phone and make this call or to send this email. So that's another thing that I think I've gotten myself comfortable with now of, of you know, being the one that has something to offer as opposed to the one that's, that's always asking to take. <laughs> yeah, the, the Oren Claff, I've interviewed on this show and it's episode 425. He talks about being the prize where we're the prize and we have an opportunity and well he is very very blunt and borderline abrasive with his approach at least how he he teaches it there's a, a tremendous amount of of truth to to that approach and us being the prize and i know when i was raising money for my first deal that until i overcame that mental barrier of it's not asking but rather it's providing something that they wouldn't have access to otherwise, uh, and I believe in it wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm doing, I'm reaching out to them because I care about them. That's whenever my fundraising dollar amounts in deals exponentially increased. I was able to get my first one, and and then it snowballed from there. Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, there's there's more money in this world than there are deals like your deal, right? So, uh, and this kind of goes to uh, I think a third point that's important is. When you're raising money or, or selling anything for that matter, and raising money is really just a, another another sale that has to be made, you want to create some level of, of scarcity, right? And this kind of goes back to what you were just talking about. I was talking about, uh, you know, there's a there's a ton of money out there to be invested, but there's only there's only one Joe Fairless with you know the specific project that that you're working on, um, and that's a scarce opportunity. And you want to build kind of your whole process and your whole fundraising process around the idea of you always have more capital potential than, you know, the opportunity, you know, the opportunities that you're working on ever need. And I think that's the other thing that really can start to help shift that mindset of what you have is 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 a value. If you only have five or six investors in your pipeline, you're not going to feel like what you have is all that scarce because you barely have enough maybe to get the next deal done. But if you've got 100 or 150 people in that pipeline and you've only got one deal that you need, you know, half a million dollars for, that's a, that's a very scarce opportunity for those investors. Uh, and it's okay to communicate that with them. You know, hey, we've, only, we've, got, we've got a $50,000 spot left in the deal. We've got your name on it, but, it, you know, I'm not sure how long it's going to be here. And you can you can kind of start to to manufacture some of that momentum or or um, create that sense of urgency for your investors, which I found is also important. Absolutely. How, how do you? I, I guess you addressed it. You have from a mental from a um, psychological standpoint, you have a lot of op, a lot of investors that you can send it to, and then then you're able to kind of speak truthfully about the scarcity of it. What? What response, if any, have you received when you take that approach of don't pressure me or it's not really it's not really scarce a nice try? Yeah, and that's and I think that's part of the beauty of having that that big funnel. If if you get a no, you know, I never assign a no to any reason. It's just it's a no. It's a no today. It's no on this deal. That doesn't mean it's no tomorrow. And again, if you've done the right job of building your pipeline, you're not so upset about it because you can move on to the, to the next investor. That being said, you know, I think you do kind of want to take that opportunity to learn something, you know, and, and 
not that you necessarily want to be salesy or, or, you know, try to get someone to invest in something that they're not comfortable investing in. But I've often found a lot of times the reason someone will say no to me is they don't completely understand what it is I'm offering. Right. So, well, well, why no? Like, what don't you like about the deal? Oh, I didn't communicate this right. You know, here's what's actually happening. And, and that gives you an opportunity. You may still not get them because oftentimes once someone says no, it's very hard to get them to say yes. But what it will do is inform, uh, you know, how you're communi- communicating that opportunity so you, you know, you can communicate it better or correct it on, you know, on subsequent calls that you make or conversations that you have with, with the next investor. So, you know, I think it's important to always follow up and learn from those no's and, and also not assign anything to the no. You never, you never really know why an investor says no. Um, they could have just bought a boat, a second house. They could have a daughter that just got married. They could have health troubles. They could just not like the deal, right? There's any number of reasons why the, the no is a no, but, but I definitely think it's always acceptable to kind of ask why. Um, and again, if the, if the person, you truly have a relationship with that person and you've demonstrated that, that you care, that you're transparent, that you're honest, you know, I find that you know most people will, will will be willing to give you five minutes of ex- their explanation or um, a quick email. Again, I don't think it's important at that point to try to change their mind as much as it is to just say, "Hey, is this something that that I did wrong that I communicated poorly?" And then you know work that back into your proposal so that you don't have to you know make the same mistake going forward. Is there anything that you wanted to mention as it relates to raising money for a real estate business that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's really it. I think that again, the 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 main thing here is that it, it is a process. It's something that you should start sooner rather than later. And I think that was one of the things that that I I, I probably could have done a better job of is even even if it's just creating a hypothetical investment that you don't yet have that you go out and sell to potential investors, start doing that now, right? Because that actually gives you something to talk about. Hey building my business. Here's what, you know, the type of deals that I'm going to potentially be funding. This isn't a real deal. Be, be upfront with it. This isn't a real deal, but here's kind of what I'm thinking, you know, the next deal that I have is going to look like. If I deliver something like this, will this work for you? You know, and then that way you, you start to be able to build those relationships and you start that clock ticking, um, you know, with different people in your pipeline a lot sooner. Even if you've already had a deal and you don't have your next deal and you meet a new investor, take that previous deal to them and say, hey, let's talk through this. If, you know, if I'd have met you three months ago when this thing was live, would this would have been something you would have invested in? If not, why not? You know, so you always kind of want to start those conversations, I think, sooner rather than later. And I think kind of the other, the other point on that is you know, you're not really in your first or second or third meeting or even 10th meeting. You know, understand what your goal is of that meeting. And for me, it's, it's never really to get like a close or a yes. For me, it's always agreement to get another meeting. Right. So my minimum kind of walk away with, with, with for all my investor meetings is can we agree to meet again? And, and what that does is it, it gives what I find is that when an investor is actually ready to invest, if you're if you're sequencing them through whatever you're working on at that given point, they're going to say, how do I get involved in this now? And you're not going to have to close them. Um, they're going to they're going to kind of close themselves. So I think taking kind of that approach to one takes the pressure off of of you as someone that, you know, feels like you need to go close the, close the deal. Otherwise the meeting's not successful, but it also takes the pressure off of the other person. If they know that you're not going to show up with trying to sell them something, they're more likely to continue to meet with you because no one really likes to be like pressured into making a decision. <laughs> you know, so I think just even thinking about how you frame your meetings, 
around, you know, not really a close, but more of just a, Hey, can I, can I get another meeting with you in another month or two months or six months or whatever is appropriate really starts to help, uh, again, develop those relationships, but also make those relationships sustainable so that you can keep, again, the goal is to keep your pipeline as big as possible. And if you're selling people too hard and they say no to you, every time you try to meet with them, they're going to stop meeting with you because they don't like being sold. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so the goal again is keep, keep that pipeline big. And the way you keep that pipeline big is you make sure that that door always remains open. I love it. I I love the overarching theme of this is a process that happens over time. And best ever listeners get started now by creating a hypothetical deal and talking to people within your, your friendship network about what you've got going on and then continue to extend that out. And that's what I did uh, before I had my first deal. I, it was a hypothetical deal, but it was also a deal that I was looking at. Uh, and it uh, was something that had already closed. I, I'd previously been looking at it. So it was something that was in the market. I just didn't act on it. So I used that as an example um, as of, of something that uh, we could do and got their feedback on it. And I, I, I love your approach of you know getting started now. Keep the pipeline as big as possible, not only because it, it allows you to have uh, access to more capital, but also from a psychological standpoint, it allows you to stay away from the needy mentality and really drive the scarcity with the investors. And I think that's the other big point that you mentioned is when you raise money, create a level of scarcity. And then I, I love your, your, you kind of, you mentioned it uh, in passing, but I love when you said there's more money in the world than deals like your deal. That, that's, that's truly a a, a trans, uh, transformational mentality when we have that during the meeting uh, since we are treating it as a process during the meeting don't do a hard sell have a, a way of, of speaking with them again and then using your advice Matt um, add value to their life by sending them articles or one of the questions that Bob Berg who's been on the show before he's the author of The Go-Giver he told me about is to ask them, how would I know if there's someone I come across, I should, I should introduce them to you. And, and that way you are identifying who they'd like to meet and then acting accordingly and, and, and helping them make business connections. So thanks so much for being on the show again. Wonderful conversation. Hope you have the best ever Saturday. And where can the best ever listeners learn more about you and get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm available on email, matt at fundatflip.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Matt Rodak. Yeah, I look forward to, to connecting and answering any additional questions anyone might have. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Talk to you soon. Hope you have the best ever day. Thanks, Joe. You too. Thanks. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever.